every person has a story. Every single person on this planet means something to someone. They're a mother or father, a brother or sister, a friend. They are precious. Precious to someone and, more importantly, to God. Precious to God because they are a created masterpiece made in His image. They have hopes and dreams of what they want to accomplish, and some hold regret over what their lives have become. But every one of them has a choice to change the direction of their life. It's an incredible gift. It truly is a gift from God. So don't waste the chance at living your life to the fullest for Jesus. Use this time to reflect the image of Christ, to be set apart, to be different, to swim against the stream and live a life that is unique and ultimately precious. We're so glad you're here with us and joining us online. The video was saying that how we're all precious in God's sight, and that's certainly the case. It's so awesome how he takes so much care and and interest in each one of us individually. Amber, who's been a part of our congregation from the very, very beginning, she was part of the congregation, and God just brought us to her originally, and she was with us when we were in our home, and she struggled with some issues, um, with some decisions from her past. Amber has ended up incarcerated again and is struggling um, with some, some situations. She's about ready to deliver her baby, and she has sent us a prayer request that um, she's asking for $20 for her commissary account so that she will be able to um, have the neat, necessary things that she needs. Just being in there, you have to buy everything. Uh, and then the other thing she's asking for, her bond was just recently reduced this last week. And if she can make her bail, she'll be able to deliver her baby outside of jail. So that is something that she's asked us to try and believe God for with her. And so I know when someone's in jail, we can look at it and say, well, there's a reason why you're in jail. And certainly that's almost o- always the case. Um, and, but I, I don't know about you, but I'm really glad that God doesn't hold me accountable for all the times that I've missed it and missed it again and then missed it again and missed it yet again. And, and so I, I struggle with this a little bit, to be honest with you myself, but um, as we will see in the message this morning, I believe God would have us to do things when we can to help people. So I want to encourage you, you can send a special gift. You can go to givetobelong.com. We'll be talking more about uh, ways to give later. But this is above your tithes and offerings. But if God would lay that on your heart, the amount that we need is $500 for her bond because it's the 10% um, of the bond. And then um, the $20 and then she's sto- stuff in storage that's about to get um, forfeited and she'll lose everything that she has to her name. So I, I just believe that we can raise that money so that she's going to be able to get, get released, deliver her baby outside, and that she'll be able to retain all of her stuff out of storage. And so that's what we're believing for this morning. Well, if you'll turn in your Bibles with me to Hebrews chapter 11, and we're going to read one verse, and this is the hall of fame of people, and it goes by, by faith, by faith, and we've looked at this several weeks ago, 
many weeks ago, actually, and, and we saw all the different how people did things by faith. So they struck out. Abraham left, and by faith, he did all his great accomplishments. And, and this morning, we're going to look at one of the more crazy stories in the Bible. And, and I love the fact that God is so... Um, I don't even know how to even fully give it, but he doesn't hold anything back. There's nothing hidden behind the bushes and, and doesn't make sure everything looks perfect. And he, he kind of lets us see how things really are. And there are some crazy stories in the Bible, and this is not going to disappoint in being one of them as well. So read this. By faith, the prostitute, now how many of you thought the word prostitute was going to be in by faith? In the Bible, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed, and look, I highlighted welcomed, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. So now we're going to read the story about Rahab, because I want you to see why she was included in the group of everybody, the Hall of Fame, if you will, the lineup of the great people of the Bible. She's in there with Abraham and Noah. I mean, it's just crazy. Rahab is in there. So if you'll turn with Joshua chapter 2, verse 1, we're going to read through verse 9. You're just going to read through this really quickly. Then Joshua, the son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from this town and said, go over Go look over the land, especially Jericho. So they went and entered into the house of the prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. Okay, now, I always like to say this. Put yourself in the Bible. So don't just read this and glance over it and just blah, 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 and keep going. But actually think about what we're reading here. So here God has told him they're going to take the land and to go in and possess the land. And so they send spies in to find out what they're up against and kind of know how to best direct all the stuff. And so they enter in this town, and clearly they're not from around there. They don't fit in at all, and in order to try and find a way that they can, like, not be discovered and, you know, captured and all this stuff, because you'll see in a minute that they knew from other cities that had been conquered that the Israelites were coming, and they're coming for them. So they're, like, kind of on high alert, like, watching what's going to happen, because we realize that we're, like, in the next in the line of cities where, where they're running, and they didn't have CNN and everybody running with the, the footage where you see them coming, but they had the, the, the knowledge of what was going on. So they go into this town and they find someone who was going to be welcoming to them and who would take them in. And as it would be, it's Rahab whose occupation is a prostitute. And, and think about that. Her house where they stayed is where she does her business. Okay, so to see guys coming in and out of her doors, just putting it bluntly and plainly, is not unusual. So it's a great um, cover for them to hide under, you know, for them to just duck in here and, and they're hiding. But now we see verse 2, the king of Jericho was told, look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So even when they're trying to duck in here, they're like, hey, you're not from around here. I bet you're the Israelites. So the king, verse 3, sent the message to Rahab, bring out the man who came to you and entered into your house. Everybody will sell everybody out. I'm just telling you, not changed any today. Because they've come to spy out the whole land. Verse 4, but the woman had taken the two men and hidden them 
And here's what she said. Yes, the men came to me, but I do not know where they'd come from. And at dusk, when it was time to close the gate, they left quick, and I, I don't know which way they went. After, go after them quickly. Maybe you can catch up to them. Verse 6, but she had taken them under her roof and hidden them under stalks of flax she had laid out on the roof. So she did this whole covert thing and, and put them on a roof and put some more roofing stuff over them like, okay, they really, really still. So then the men set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the forge of Jordan. And as soon as the pursuers had gone, the gate was shut. Before the spies laid down for the night, she went up on the roof and she said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land. And that a great fear of you has fallen on all of us, so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. And you can go on and read the rest of the story, because the point of the message this morning isn't completely about Rahab. But I want you to see the faith and the belief in God of this woman. So while we would look at her chosen occupation, or how she ended up in this place, you would look at that and say, man, I, yeah, mm, you know, mm, but, but God used her. God did not discriminate against her and say, okay, now because you've made those choices, I can't use you. But God says, hey, I'm willing to take and use you, and you helped us, and you had this great faith. And so much so that she made a covenant with the God of Israel and with the the men of Israel, and she ended up in the Hall of Fame. Now, I want you to think about that. She, with this torrid past that everybody knew, ended up in the Hall of Fame. I'm thinking about the ID channel that you can watch on TV, and they always show the relentless detective that there's been this crime that they couldn't easily solve, and then he spends all this time. Sometimes they retire, and it's just the case that wouldn't get away, and they just keep working on it. And, you know, oftentimes the shows they show will show how there's a break in the case years and years later. But I want you to think about all the resources and the manpower, the countless amount of money, that's spent to find out when one person has had a crime committed to them, particularly a murder. When I was a deputy in Florida, there was a, uh, we were at a, uh, one of the encounters, and I got a page, a call, and there had been a murder, and they needed me to come back and help guard the scene. And so I went flying back the two hours back and went and set up, and we set up on the scene, and we guarded it until everything was completed. And, and, and being there a part of that, seeing this tragedy that had happened to this 15-year-old girl, She was thrown out like she was garbage and found in in a ditch, having been murdered. And and it would be easy to say, hey, you know, it's in a ditch, it's no big deal, you know, go on. But we put so much manpower, I mean, so many people were called out, I mean, it cost thousands upon thousands upon thousands of dollars to secure the scene and to find out what was going on to find out if a crime even did occur. Because there's a value on that one person. Turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 16. 
Verse 19, Jesus is speaking. And many of Jesus' stories are allegories. And he's making up, the kingdom of heaven is like, and he's telling a story. And it's something that he's making up to illustrate a point. But this is one of the unusual ones. He's talking about something that actually happened. Listen to this. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. And at his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus. He was covered with sores. Verse 22. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side and the rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was in torment, he looked up, this is the rich man, and saw Abraham far away. And this tells me that those that are in the place of torment waiting for the final judgment day, they can see, it's far away, but they can see what's going on. And Lazarus was by his side. Now, he'd stepped over Lazarus. He'd, like, ignored him. Maybe he just threw him a crumb or two here or there, you know. But he knew who Lazarus was. And as the story goes, Jesus is saying, hey, this is the guy that's outside. And you have both died at the same time, and now you're both seeing in the afterlife. Verse 24, so he, the rich man, called to him, Abraham, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I'm in agony. And, and even there you see an entitlement like of the rich man who's used to having people send stuff for me. Can you um, do this for me and do this? And send and just commanding. He's in no place to command. Send Lazarus. Make him come over here and work for me. I mean, he's just nobody anyway. Send him down here and, and give me because I'm in agony. And Abraham replied, son, Remember that you are in your lifetime received your good things, while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. And besides all these things, between us and you, there's a great chasm that has been set into place. So those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over there to us. There's this great chasm, there's this great divide, and, and your time was go- given, as it goes on to say. You can read that on your own as well. It, it goes on to say, he goes, hey, send somebody to send to my family and tell them they don't want to come here. Jesus like, or Abraham's like, hey, listen, all the stuff has been given to them just like it was you, and if they're not going to hear that, they're not going to hear something else. But I want us to see that millionaires are going to stand before God in judgment, And I had this revelation a few, few weeks ago, several weeks ago, and I will tell you that this message was, was downloaded as I get them like three or four weeks ago, and I was really, really excited when I knew that today was the day. And as it turns out, um, with, with trying to raise money for Amber and finding her in that place of need and, and that struggle that she's going through, and it just kind of how it all lined up together that this was the day that God had for this message. But as I'm dealing with millionaires and driving them during the weekend and just being able to wait on them and serve them and, and, and make a living doing that, we, we kind of get to see them as someone who, you know, the, the carpets are rolled out for them. People are opening the door for them. People are hoping that they will show kindness to them and maybe give them a big tip. Maybe it's, hey, I, I want to be close to this person because you're rich and famous. Maybe it's all the stuff that people clamor for these people, but that millionaire, that person of great standing that we would have here, 
is going to stand before God in judgment. And he's going to say to him the same thing. What did you do with what I gave you? Did you accept my son Jesus? But at the same time, the lowest in our class system will also stand before God in judgment. So we've got a Lazarus and we've got a rich man. And both of them in this story are showing they're both having been set in this place of being judged. And one was sent to Hades and one was in paradise. But we see a class system. We put a value on a millionaire or someone who's rich up here. And we look at a Lazarus. We look at someone who is begging and doesn't have anything and is struggling and, you know, and just maybe he's made a lot of bad choices even. And look at them and go, oh, you're down here. Matthew 25, Jesus is speaking. He goes, these are the, then these righteous will reply. And Jesus had just told this other story. Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you? Or, or thirsty and we gave you some drink? God, God, that kind of slips my mind. I, I don't remember seeing you. I mean, Jesus, if it was you, man, I would have I, I given you the whole bottle of water. I mean, I would have brought you the whole case. I I, we we would have done all these great and just extraordinary efforts for you. And, and we saw you hungry and we fed you? How do I not remember feeding you and, or thirsty? And, and we gave you something to drink? I, I, I don't remember that, Jesus. I'm glad we did that, but I don't remember that. Verse 38, or, or a stranger and, you sh- and showed us hospitality? I don't remember showing Jesus hospitality or, or naked and I gave you clothing. I don't remember taking the coat off my back and giving it to Jesus. I would remember that. Verse 39, and when did we ever see you sick? We're in prison, and, and we came to visit you. I, I don't remember uh, Jesus. I, I remember they took you, and, and, and I, uh, but we don't visit you in prison. Verse 40, and the king will say, I'll tell you the truth. When you do this to one of the least of these, you're doing it to me. So while Jesus is saying, thank you for coming and visiting me, thank you for giving to me, thank you for helping me out, for giving me food, for water, for clothing, for all of these basic needs. And they're like, man, I don't remember doing that with you, Jesus. I I think I'd remember that. He goes, no, you didn't do it to me, but when you did it to the least, you did it to me. Jesus said in as many words, They're valuable. There is value in that one person. So let me ask you this. What is the value of one life? One person. See, we look at people through the lens of who they are based on what they have. And honestly, what they can do for me or what they can give us. Can I tell you how many times I've heard uh, so-and-so would just get saved, man. They could do so much, man. They could sing the best songs and everybody would know. Oh, if they were they, they're this famous movie star, they would da-da-da-da-da. And that's not the case. We put value on people. As a part of graduating from CFNI, whenever I went back a long, long time ago, 
one of our things that was required on us to graduate was the evangelism class. And we had to get outside of our doors and do evangelism. And, and for us at that time, we had to do door-to-door knocking. And I absolutely hated it. And ended up having to go and knock on doors and find somebody that opened the door up and let you in and go in there and just try and say the plan of salvation. And I mean, they've got food on the, ta- on the stove and you're interrupting their lives. And I was just like groaning inside. And I hated it so much. But why did I hate it? Why was it such an inconvenience for me? Why did I say, oh, I just like dreaded and had to reschedule all the time? No, it's not convenient for me today. No, no, no. How about later? How about? And it came up to like right before graduation, like squeezing in. You got two days. You got to get it all done in. Why was it so terrible for me? May I suggest to you it's because I didn't have the value of that one person. My heart was not yet broken for someone who's on track to spend eternity separated from God. But thank God, he's patient with me, and he helped me through, and I've gone through this huge metamorphosis that's landed me today, and I'm not done with it. Thank God he's not done with me. I, I'm sure you're like me. You're, you're happy as well. But God led me, and I may have told this story before, but I want to tell this story again. He led me to this place in Arlington, in, in this restaurant. And, and while I'm eating there, I, there's high tops, there's tables, there's, I'm sorry, there's booths, there's high tops, and there's tables, and there's the bar. And man, I could sit in the booth, and I'm all right because it's high behind me, and I can kind of like hide in there. Not hiding, but just like I, I don't feel as, as uh, you know, around people, you know, and it's just like, ugh. And then I set the table because there's t- chairs all around me. That's all right. But the high tops where there's people right here beside me, oh, no, 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 I'm not going to do that. And this particular day, the Cowboys were playing, and it was a full house, and there's one seat left, and my friend, Lenore and my friend, Maddie, was, was waiting on this one section of the high tops. There's one chair left. And it's either sit there and eat or don't eat or wait for hours and miss work, and I couldn't do that. So I sat down, and as soon as I sat down, I, I laid my phone on the table right here, and this guy right next to me picked it up and immediately says, oh, is this the new iPhone? And I'm like, oh, you're touching my stuff? I mean, you shouldn't be touching my stuff. This is my, that's my phone. Why are you touching my phone? And this girl came around from the end, and she goes, hey, you look cute. Can I buy you a drink? And I'm like, no, I'm married. I don't want a drink. And I'm freaking out, and I'm hyperventilating. And, and Maddie had to get involved and help the girl to the end. It's like, he's not being rude to you. I know him and I know his wife. He's a driver. He doesn't drink. And, and going all this stuff. And I'm sitting here and I'm freaking out inside. And I heard the Spirit of God speak to me. He goes, you think you're better than all these people. And honestly, I said, yes, I do, God. And I know a lot of people in my church who would agree with me. And he says, I love that guy and that girl as much as I love you. And it hit me. It cut me to the heart. He went on to show me that there's, there's clouds. It's like a cloud and there's labels that we put on people that you do this and you do that. And that's sending you to hell. But really, whether or not they made this decision to accept Christ is what is going to determine whether they spend heaven or hell in eternity. But there's this cloud in between me and them he goes, can you penetrate through that cloud, that cloud to get to that, how many people? That one person. 
But you see, sometimes we like to play it safe. But Jesus, when he was choosing his disciples, he's going and asking them, hey, will you come? And they're like, man, this is great. And we, we think they were probably teenagers or early 20s. You know, and they're all like, man, this is awesome, man. This is going to be great, and we're going to change the world. Can't you just see some teenagers that are just all gung-ho and fired up? And then Jesus is going to get this one and this one. And then he goes to Matthew, and he chooses Matthew. He says, Matthew, come follow me. And the guys are like, hey, hold on, Jesus, time out. We're, we're really happy about us following you and what we're going to do and change the world in this big entourage but he's a tax collector he's the worst of the worst we don't really like him he's not like us and jesus you really should think about your reputation because uh, maybe because you're god and all you know you, you you don't know how it is down here but that's just not cool and then jesus trips their mind and goes hey but i chose him they're like, okay, okay, okay. Maybe we can just tell everybody he's changed. And he goes, first order of business, we're going to go to Matthew's house and have dinner. And they're like, no, we can't be seen at his house. As Jesus continues on in his ministry, he was accused of eating and drinking with sinners. But it's interesting to me that how the biblical way at that time to show exclamation points where we would just say, hey, raise our voice and put exclamation points and underline it several times. They would just repeat it three times. So when you read in your Bible, and he goes, verily, 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 or, or, you know, he lays it out there. It's like he's screaming it from the, the, the rooftops, like texting with all caps on. There's only one parable that Jesus gave that he didn't just say it and then go on. Even when they didn't get in, the disciples come to him privately, like, hey, can you explain what you just said there, Denise? There's only one. And it's when he was talking about the one, and we went over this several weeks ago, and I'm not going to recount all this for the interest of time. Because the kingdom of heaven is like the good shepherd who had 99 sheep and one left. He went after the one. And all of heaven rejoices when one comes. The kingdom of heaven is like a woman who lost, had 12 coins and lost one, and she's not satisfied. She still has 11, but she turns her house upside down. She opens up the cushions in her couch to look for that one because she's not going to stop until she swept the whole house and found the one she's lost. The third example, that Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like the father who had two sons and one walked away, and he stood on the porch and watched for the last one to come back. Again, he said, all of heaven rejoices when one comes. Luke 15. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around Jesus to hear him. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. He eats. He has lunch with sinners. Do you remember the word I showed you that Rahab, it described her? She welcomed the people from Israel. Jesus is accused of welcoming sinners. I want us to be in that same category. I want us to be welcoming to people who may be far from God. I want us to be having lunch with those people who are far from God. I want us to be out there putting ourselves out there 
But you see, they're telling Jesus, hey, your reputation's going to be tarnished. Don't you know what they are saying? I don't know who they are. They're the Pharisees. They're the people who are going to stand in judgment and tell you you never did it right. In Luke 7, verse 36, and when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, so here he's being accused of having of lunch and eating with and welcoming to sinners, and one of the Pharisees invites him over. So Jesus is like, sure, I'll come to your house too. I don't care. I want to be with everyone. He went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. So Jesus is just chilling there. And a woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating in the Pharisee's house. And so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. Verse 39, she stood behind him at his feet weeping. And she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair and kissed them and poured perfume on them. And when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man was a prophet... Another translation says, if he was the man of God that I thought he was, he would know who this is that's touching him. And look at this. What kind of woman she is. She's a sinner. See, they think they know all about sin. And they, own, they know all. And that they know even more than God. Jesus, your reputation is being tarnished. You need to, uh, and she's like, I don't care about my reputation. I care about the one. The woman at the well, he, Jesus was left at an inappropriate place at an inappropriate time to be around women when they were safe to come to the well. He's like, I don't care. I'm not playing it safe. I'm not minimizing my risks for what people will say. In fact, Jesus loved us so much that he gave. In Matthew 25, in the parable of talents, Jesus is talking about God gave some five and some two and some one. And the one played it safe and he buried it because he he thought, at least I can just give it back and I'm not going to have lost everything. In verse 18 of Matthew 25, but the servant who received the one bag of silver dug a hole and hid it. When the master came back and called for account in verse 25 for him, he says, I was afraid I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. But look, I got it. Here it is. He played it safe. And when you read that scripture, Jesus goes on to say he, they chided him. They took from him everything. It's like, you weren't supposed to play it safe. Can I tell you the true test of someone who wants to be a veterinarian isn't in when they can study and learn all the medicine and everything? <coughs> I believe it is when they can get bit by an animal and see beyond the pain of getting bit and be vulnerable, still helping someone to get bit again. See, we often deal with people differently because of who they are or maybe who they know. See, the story of Jesus saying, you did this to the least of these? Jesus wasn't putting a lesser value on the people. He was exposing that we do. When he said, when you've done this to the least of these, you've done it to me, he wasn't saying, yeah, there's some least of these and there's some better people. Hey, I'd rather hang out with all these better people. No, he was exposing that we do. John three sixteen says what? For God so loved the world. He so loved See, God's love transcends earthly values and views and goes straight to heavenly values. That everyone will stand before him 
equal, whether you're a millionaire or the least of these by our standards. But imagine this. It isn't because of the earthly value is stripped away. It's because the true value is being revealed. That true value of Lazarus was always there. Not less in the person who is rich. When you and I get it, and we can see people like God sees them, the value of one person, we will see the day-to-day stories of Jesus differently. And as I close, we will see Rahab not as the prostitute. We'll see Matthew not as the tax collector. And we'll see Mary, the woman who was there and weeped over Jesus' feet, not as the woman caught in adultery. When we can really remove the lens of our earthly values and see people as God sees them, every person, no labels, no exceptions, then and only then will we experience John 3, 35. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love. John 3, 16. So love. We bow your heads with me. The old kids' church song. Jesus loves the little children. Red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. But let us work to make them precious in our sight too. It's not just in his sight, but they can be precious in our sight. So here's the question. Where do you find yourself today? I pray that beyond even the obvious message of seeing is being seen. It's my hope that you have even received that God and Jesus sees you too. Not your list of sins. Not that you're a sinner. For we all miss the mark. But even in being seen, it's not as the same as being in a personal intimate relationship with the one who so loves you today I'm extending you an invitation to not only be seen but to respond you don't have to understand everything because also no one does it's simply beginning with your head bowed I'm going to ask you this morning are you ready to begin If so, let me lead you in this simple prayer. Say, Jesus, I thought I could do it on my own, but I've made mistakes. My life's a mess, and I need you. I ask you to come live inside of me. See me, change me. Show me what and how to do it. Today, I'm changing my mind. And I'm not going to live by what I see. I'm choosing to transfer my trust to you. And not what I've always done or thought. But I choose to trust what your word says. I put my faith in you. In your name, Jesus, I pray. Amen. As we close, if that's you this morning, 
I want you to take the next step. And I want you, Michael already told you about our number, 469-289-1114 that we use for everything. I want you to text the word next, N-E-X-T, to that number, 469-289-1114. And that will give us the opportunity to know that you took this step with us and we'll be able to reach out to you and let you know what your next steps could be if you'd like to take it. Also, if you want to give to um, what we're trying to do here with helping Amber or your tithes and your offerings, you can go to givetobelong.com. It's also on our website. It's in our app. It's everywhere. So your tithes and offering, there's a, tithe, a, a tab for that. And a special offering that would be for Amber if you want to help participate in coming up with the money that we need to reach out and extend to her. And, and I'm unashamedly asking you, This message was prepared long before I got the request for Amber. But can I tell you that when Jesus says, when did you visit me in prison? When did you take care of me? When did you do all these things? When you did it too, and someone might even say that Amber was in that category. It challenges me. So I want to challenge you to join me in in helping this. So again, you can go to give to belong. If you'll stand to your feet with me, we're going to pray and be dismissed. Father God, I just thank you for everything that you've given us. Lord, I thank you for this message, Lord, that's been burning on my heart and could not wait to deliver it. Lord, I felt the heaviness of delivering this, and and I I told Lenore, I feel like I'm swinging for the fences, that I I just got to really just put it out there and just really deliver it the way that, God, you gave it to me. God, I pray we're all challenged to see people like you see them. Father, we give you this service this morning. We give you our worship. We give you our tithes and our offerings. Lord, we give you our our devotion. Lord, we give you our love. Lord, I pray that we're challenged and we take the next step in whatever place that we find ourselves. And Lord, I pray for everyone who made that decision for the first time or maybe another time. Lord, I thank you for those people who are going to step out and start tithing. Maybe they've never tithed before. Lord, I speak a blessing over them. Lord, the people who have sent their tithes in already this week, Lord, I speak a blessing over them. And Lord, for those of us who are going to also give beyond our tithes and offerings, Lord, to help Amber, Lord, that your blessings will be upon that as well and that you would bless Amber and the different ones. Father, we give all this to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.